0: The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 154. With a median age of just 15.5 years, Uganda is the world's youngest country. Man, I'm getting old. One, two, three. I'll show you Paris in the morning. I'll show you London now
1: Yeah, you don't have to
0: worry cause we're going Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who I have known for 24 years and have bought numerous awful birthday and Christmas gifts for, my younger brother and the person whose house we're sitting in right now, Cody Sherry. Hey, Cody. Hey, Trav.
1: Worst gift I ever got you? The worst, (laughs) well, besides all of the forgotten ones, um, was the trampoline pass that you wrote for me because you would not let me jump on the trampoline with you. Obviously that one 's gone down in, in infamy and in our family, but that lives in Sherry Lore. I gave Cody a fifteen minute
0: trampoline pass to jump on the our trampoline with me because he 's seven years younger than me. I never wanted him to do stuff with me it was my younger brother so and I, I never actually then let you cash that in until this year when, <laughs> when we jumped with Heather and <laughs> we, broke we broke the trampoline within one minute of your fifteen minute trampoline pass. And we, me and Heather did talk about recently in some of our other podcasts, the reasons for coming home from Thailand. And one of those was just the fact that we got to hang out with friends and family. And I'm really lucky to be recording with Cody here. He just bought his first house. So we came up. You're already moved in, although it's still somewhat barren. Oh yeah, it's totally new. I've been, only been here for like a month, so it's nice to have people in it. You might be able to hear the echoes off these walls, but one of the reasons we came home was was to come see family. It's really neat to be here and, and see him buy his first house and all that kind of stuff. And I'm really excited because we get to record a podcast and he's done something that I have never done and probably will never do. I, I can't say that for sure, but that was live in Africa for some time. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be recording with him about that, about what it's like to live in Africa versus, you know, being a tourist and and how he decided to live there and all the things that he's encountered and how perception isn't always reality, especially with a place we say Africa. And we just
1: use it as this general term, but it's really... yeah much more vast. Than I've that. literally heard people talk about countries and they say Africa. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> come on, that's not a country. But <laughs> yeah, so we're going to touch on all that stuff and, and his
0: experiences. And of course, he's going to talk about his experiences of travel and ways to travel more and spend less, tagline of the show. Also, a crazy travel mishap that he's had that you guys will want to listen to at the end of the show. All that we're going to touch on here. He is the second well, I guess third family member to come on. Heather's been on all the time. But we also recorded with my twin sister, Gail, which was really cool. And now I get him to come onto the show. So cool stuff here today for you guys. I should mention also... That today's episode is sponsored by Tortuga Backpacks. I've been getting a lot of emails from people recently who have bought a Tortuga or are interested in buying a Tortuga backpack. And one of the questions I've been getting a lot is now that they've come out with their Tortuga Air and also their Tortuga Day Pack, as well as, and in addition to their regular Tortuga Pack, people have asked, like, which one is right for me? Luckily, our good friends over at Tortuga Backpacks have all types of articles and sizing charts and everything like that. So if you head over there, tortugabackpacks.com, that will tell you which one to get. I have all three, so I just figured I couldn't go wrong. So I have all three of them, but if you want to check that out, if you're in the market for a new backpack, new travel pack, go to tortugabackpacks.com. Make sure you use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capitals. That'll get you 10% off. And Cody, last house cleaning or house cleaning notes. I had a cleaning? No. I don't know what you're Housekeeping notes here. Lights Camera Switzerland. I have you to thank as well as a lot of the listeners to this podcast because Heather and I are
1: actually in the lead for Lights Camera Switzerland right now. Oh, absolutely. All my friends, I literally just got a text five minutes ago asking how you guys were doing. So So. we are
0: at 33%
1: of the total vote. So we are...
0: Getting closer to having our own travel TV show. If you haven't voted yet, you can go to lightscameraswitzerland.com. Vote for us to become hosts of our own travel TV show. The voting is open till May 5th, so we've got a little bit of time there, but I'd love if you went and voted now. Thank you guys so much for the support. Thanks, Cody, for telling all your friends. You're 24, so you have like a million Facebook friends and yeah. followers.
1: Well, I mean, if you if you watch the bloopers of your video for like the 10 seconds at the end, that is a picture of what it is like to live with Travis Sherry. And that is what a TV show could be. So I would watch that every day. I'd DVR that sucker. I'd binge it on Netflix when it comes out. So please go vote for Travis. He's hysterical and ridiculous. All right, thanks. All right. Let's get into this <laughs> podcast. And the first thing I want to ask you, Code,
0: because you went to Africa and that was the longest traveling you've done, the most comprehensive traveling you've done. But before that, you did have obviously some sort of travel experiences. So touch on some of the travel experiences that you had before you actually went to Africa.
1: Yeah. I mean, our family, I feel like has always been a traveling family of some sort. So we would take family vacations down to Florida a good bit. We would go on camping trips around Pennsylvania. Our aunt and uncle would take us up to Canada a few times. So I'd been out of the country to Canada when I was young. But um, that's not super exotic. So the first time that I had actually gone abroad was after my ninth grade year. Um, we went to a mission trip in Jamaica. And I remember actually, my mom really wanted, like mom wanted me to go so bad. And I didn't want to go at all because I was kind of scared because I'd never been anywhere abroad and I didn't know anything about Jamaica. And I was just really nervous. And I remember fighting her and being like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. It turned out being such an amazing experience, you know, learning what A little bit of the culture was like there. We were only there for a week, but meeting some people and seeing the place and being able to do some mission work there was really, really cool. And then from there, I guess I kind of just had more of a desire to see what else the world had to offer. And so we took a family trip to the Dominican Republic. I think I was in college at that point, like my freshman year of college, we went to Dominican altogether, which was a ridiculous trip. Yeah, there was, what, 15 12 to 15 of us Sherry's, Sherry's yeah. our
0: immediate family, as well as aunts and uncles and cousins. That was pretty, yeah, we overtook that little village. It
1: was awesome. Absolutely awesome. And yeah, so being able to learn alongside of family was really cool too. Um, so that was a, another cool travel experience. And then, yeah, we'll be talking about Uganda a bit. But just recently, for some reason, I, and it might be you, I don't know, but I've had the travel bug and I've wanted to see more places. And so because our sister Gail lives in Spain, you know, I wanted to to see what she does and visit her. So me and my friend took a two-week trip to Spain and we did um, a day layover in Paris and then went down to Portugal and saw Madrid and saw Santiago de Compostela in Spain and things like that. So that was a two-week experience. I didn't get to see a ton of Europe, but for me, I'd never been to Europe or really anywhere around there. So seeing at least part of it was really cool. And then just like a month later i'd planned a trip to go to Costa Rica with some friends from high school, so we went to Costa Rica on like a five day vacation, so it was kind of short, sandwiched right in the middle of a really busy summer season for me. but so got to see a little bit of of that culture too so i 've kind of been able to go to different parts of the earth recently just because i'm i 'm fascinated by like what people do there and how they live. And I'm, I mean, a week is not long enough to really get to know that, but at least it's a chance to see it for yourself instead of through a screen.
0: One of the things that I regret it. I guess I could say my one, my only regret in life, because I don't use that term. I think a lot of stuff happens for a reason. We do the things we do, and we can always make up for it, but is that I didn't study abroad. And I've said that before on the podcast, and our sister studied abroad in Australia. You studied abroad in Uganda. I, for whatever reason, didn't care about traveling when I was 21. Odd to say now, but just how it was. And I think that You had such a neat experience because you did, you mentioned, just seeing what people do in other areas. So when you were looking to study abroad and you did it in university, what were your choices? Because I'm sure Uganda wasn't the only one. How did you come about to deciding on Uganda of all places?
1: Yeah, well, I attended Messiah College and they had a fantastic study abroad program. And so I basically could have gone to any number of countries for the same tuition as living in this no name, you know, town in central PA. So I knew, like, right when I got there, I definitely had to take them up on that opportunity. And so I started looking at lists. And honestly, I I, I could have gone anywhere, you know, like they have Rome and and Israel and Australia, and you can go to Philadelphia if you want to stay stateside, like but I was kind of... The mean streets of Philadelphia, <laughs> an hour and a half away. Yeah, right? I mean, they Still had a, a... different experience though, from rural PA to oh, the city. Oh, totally. And they had a campus there. So, I know a lot of people who did that and loved it. But for me, that kind of experience wasn't going to be enough. If I had the chance to go anywhere and the price was exactly the same, um, when else in life do you get the chance to do that? So, I figured I, I might as well try to go somewhere that was as different from here as possible. I think that was... The thing I was looking for. Like if I want to go see another culture, then let's pick somewhere where I think I I know nothing about and I think is probably going to open my eyes the most. Um, So I had some friends study in London and I was like, that could be cool. But I feel like I've got some similarities there. We speak the same language. And so I was like, wow, I've never been to Africa. I, I, I don't really know many people who have been to Africa. And if they have, it was on, you know, a mission trip of some sort for like a week. And I was like, well... I think if I study in Uganda, that would be a total whirlwind. Um, I would have no idea what I was doing. So I think since freshman year of Messiah, I knew I wanted to go there, and I started working you know, my class schedule around being able to go there junior year. That's something I didn't know, that this was more
0: of a process than I thought, of you actually saying, I'm going to go to Uganda, and then kind of making stuff happen towards that. I, I just assumed... You know, I don't know. I was just out like, and about <laughs> and out of the house, flipped I, through the program. <laughs> yeah, I pick, don't know. Pick. I thought you said, "Hey, yeah, let's look at all these let's ideas." I'm Africa. going to Uganda, and then you know, next semester you went up to Uganda. But you actually knew from
1: yeah, the begin- I knew pretty early on freshman year going in, and and just because the they had so many options, I feel like you kind of almost had to. A lot of people older than me were encouraging me to start start looking into it, which was good. So yeah, I knew I knew pretty right away. I, I had no idea that Africa was somewhere that I like cared about or wanted to see until I started looking into all the places in the world. When I had all options in front of me, that's the one that really stood out. So you build up to this and you thought, all right, I'm going to go to
0: Uganda. And you knew that early on, leading up to actually leaving to go to Uganda. I want you to talk a little bit about that process because we've talked a lot about on this podcast, being nervous before traveling, and and that's okay, and even I'm still nervous before I go to other countries, we just went to Myanmar, and it was gonna be a brand new country, a different culture, something we hadn't done, and I was pretty nervous before I went. I can't imagine, like I would be nervous if I was going to Uganda, and I'm fairly well-traveled at this point, what were you feeling
1: leading oh up to it? goodness. I was completely nervous. I mean, I love adventure, but at the same time, I think I'm somewhat of a homebody. And so I was definitely nervous. I'd finally like gotten a, a solid group of friends at Messiah that like I knew totally well. So like I knew the school, I was comfortable. That transition had been a little rough going into college. And then like I was totally comfortable. And then I was going to kind of uproot myself for four months and leave everything I knew behind. Um, and go to somewhere that wasn't comfortable yeah, at all. where I knew absolutely nothing. And so, so I think I was definitely I was definitely nervous. I didn't really know what to expect. I did have a good friend who had studied there the semester before. And so I kind of followed really closely her story because I knew I was going the next semester. And so, you know, like following her blog and looking at pictures and things like that. But I think the excitement outweighed the nervousness. And maybe that's a little bit Naive, but I'm glad that that happened because I don't want I didn't want to be freaking out about it 24 seven. And so yeah, I, I just kind of was I was really looking forward to the experience and the adventure behind it, and at the same time, definitely realizing that four months was a, a long stretch of time in a place I knew nothing about. So I read a lot of Wikipedia pages, which is so stupid. That's but, what I tell people: uh, wiki travel or
0: Wikipedia. Seriously. It's a great
1: starting point. I was like, please help me understand anything about this country because I know nothing and I don't want to go there knowing absolutely nothing. And Messiah had this like program. You had to take a couple classes or a couple one night like sessions before you could go study abroad where they would train you on <laughs> how to study abroad. But it was everybody, uh, everyone that was going. So like right. everyone's going to Some guy going to, be to Rome so and different. some guy going to Philadelphia and some right. guy going to Uganda or a girl. Yeah. But they like kept, they kept scaring us into things. So they would like talked to us about how all these terrible stories about people getting their money stolen or like mob justice watching someone being beaten in the streets or like someone waking up in a cage. And I was like, literally, these are the stories people they were telling us. And I don't know if any of them were even real, but they made us so nervous about traveling in general. And I think because they wanted to keep their students safe, they were teaching us things. But that probably honestly was the, the thing that made me the most nervous was all I was hearing was horror stories of of what could happen to you when you go live somewhere that's not The here. people who were supposed to be preparing and placating your fears and
0: things like that were actually the ones Yeah, who they just made attended.
1: me a wreck. So. Yeah.
0: All right. So, leading up then, what type of preparations did you specifically have to do to go to Africa? Maybe not through the university, but just for your own good. I mean, were there things that you had to buy? I, oh, yeah. This I'm, is coming from someone... If you guys are listening, I've never been to Africa. I don't really, okay, we're using Africa as a generality, but I've never been to the continent of Africa. Yeah, yeah. I've never lived there. So what did you think going into it? Like what kind of stuff did you bring even?
1: Yeah, so the the university was awesome because they gave us like a super detailed, this huge guide that told us everything that we would need to know. And a big part of that was like what shots we needed to get. I mean, there's vaccinations that we had to have done before we could go. And the crazy thing, one the first thing that kind of, changed my perspective. And we'll talk about plenty of those things that, that I realized once I got there. But the first thing was that the dress code for the university was uh, for guys like dress pants, dress shirts. Um So, I packed like all dress clothes, basically. You mean and the university shoes. in Uganda? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, I'm picturing like, oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to be in Africa. I'm going to get tan. I'm going to wear shorts. I'm going to, you know, all these things. And like the packing list is like, Two button-up shirts, two dress pants and belts and and nice black shoes and all these. And I was like, I don't dress like this in America, <laughs> you know? That was the first thing that I was like, okay, that's interesting. That's not what I expected was going to happen. But we didn't bring very many clothes at all. I did probably have two dress shirts, two pairs of pants, and then like two t-shirts and like two pairs of shoes. And so, it was pretty minimalistic in the packing. And I think that was for a couple different reasons, but I packed in one big, you know, almost hiking backpack kind of thing. And that's what I brought with me.
0: The first couple hours then that you got there, or even days, because I want to shift into how the perception is much different than the reality, because that's where you can really shine some light because you've been there. And I think we all have perceptions in our head of what Africa, quote unquote, Africa is like. I know I have them. So your first couple hours and days on the ground. What was that like? Yeah, that Both emotionally man. and then physically everything because it must have been crazy.
1: Yeah. So, we flew into a town called Entebbe. It's like the only airport there. And we got there at like, I don't know what time, but it was dark. It was nighttime. And so, we get there and I'm traveling with a bunch of American students that I don't know. So, that in itself was totally new. Meeting all these new people, we have this long flight and we get there and these people welcome us, give us these little tiny bananas that we eat. I was like, sweet, this Dude, is Dude, cool. bananas
0: are so much smaller everywhere <laughs> else in the world. Was,
1: I was like, I've never seen one of these, but I'll gladly eat this food. Thank you. And we got on a bus and we just kept kind of talking and we we're driving, but it's completely dark and they don't have like, you know, like lamp posts and stuff. So we're just driving on this pitch black dark road. I have no idea where we're going. We drive for about an hour or so and then we arrive at the university, but we still can't see anything, so I don't know what it looks like. And in my head I I just have no idea what's gonna what I'm gonna see. And we get to this dorm building, I guess, and they kind of just drop us off. And they're like, "All right, you guys will sleep here. Everybody's going to sleep here." And then the people that are doing home stays that are staying with a family for four months, you guys will go tomorrow morning, and we'll take you to your families. But tonight, obviously, we're it's it's late, so, so we're gonna, some people were doing home stays and some people were staying in the dorms. Then, yeah, some people stayed on campus. Um, I think there are about eleven of us that did home stays and like twenty five or so that did the other program and they were all girls. It was only three guys in the whole in the whole program, which I found kind of interesting actually going to Uganda. I don't know why maybe that was another per- perception that changed, but there's only three of us guys. Um so they put us in a room and it's this big like concrete dorm building, okay? A real real structure, not a hut or anything like that. And they just like give us mosquito nets. And I was like, okay. And I'd like never used one before. Of course. (laughs) Right. Like, and so here's my first like culture clash moment was I I was there and there was a bunk bed and I'm sleeping on the top bunk and I cannot figure out how to attach this mosquito net. Like I've seen them in pictures, you know, how they kind of like drape over and I'm like, I they think look all that's cool. They look cool in the pictures. Yeah. Like That'd be a neat experience. Oh, it's like, yeah, it's almost regal. And like, I'm in looking... reality, they keep
0: like <laughs> sticking to you. <laughs> they the...
1: horrible. There was no hook above where I was sleeping. And so I'm like, how do I attach this to the ceiling? So it literally trapped the first night I wrapped the mosquito net around my body and fell asleep. And, like, Welcome I thought I'm like, this can't be right, but I also don't know what to do. And neither did the other white American that I'm like sleeping in the room with. So that was hysterical. I told everyone the next day and they all laughed. at me, especially the Ugandans, they laughed so hard at me because like, that's not going to do anything. If it's right on your body, the mosquitoes can still get you. And so I was like, I know. I just didn't know what to do. So my f- very first experience was a total goat rodeo. I like, I, didn- I had no idea what I was doing. And then the next morning, this is probably where the anxiety really kicked in and probably the most nervous I have ever been in my entire life was we knew we were going to be dropped off at our families. And so we, we arrived on at a Thursday. I think, and Friday, they were like, we're going to drop you off today, and you don't come back till Monday. Right. they And I guess <laughs> they did that on, on Monday. purpose yeah. So, that you had to
0: kind of... You had no out. You're yeah. going to the families for three days, and you're going to be there.
1: Yep. And you're just going to, you know, like... And I had found a little bit of comfort with these Americans that I had met for 24 hours, a little bit, and... Um, they woke us up and they kind of gave us this like tutorial on on things we might need to know before we go to our homestays. And the main thing there was just how to poop in a hole, honestly. And that's like a, a Ugandan woman got up in front of our class and showed us like how to squat properly and where to squat so that you made it so that you didn't miss, which is totally, I mean, again, something we would not know how to do. So it was like very helpful, but that was about the only... They talked but they to us Didn't about. teach you about mosquito nets? No, they didn't. No, not the first night, at least. And so we we're like, okay, that's that's it. We don't know, like culturally, what do we do not to offend them? I mean, the bus pulls up to like take us to our homestays, and I cannot, I can't even like remember what that feeling was like because it was I was more nervous than I've ever been, and honestly, just scared because I was like, this is the experience I've been waiting for, but also the one that I knew was going to be the hardest. Because yeah, it's not up to you at all. You haven't made any decisions. It's
0: four months. It's not a few days where you think, "Oh, right, I can tough it out. You're with these people for four months.
1: Yeah. And if you make a bad first impression, you know, you are with them. And so, um, were you more nervous? Because that's interesting that you say a bad first impression. I assumed you were more nervous that
0: you wouldn't like them or get along with them or something. Were you more nervous that it was the other way around and that you would make a bad impression on them or they might not like you or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think that was more my focus because like I said, we just don't know culturally what any of of this community is like. And also within a community, like every person's going to be different. So I have no idea on the foundational level, what are Ugandans most like? You know, how do they communicate? And then on the more specific level, like what will my family be like? And um, will I make a fool out of myself by doing something? I don't know. I just sometimes I think about that even in America too. We're all worried about that on some level, and so that just really heightened it because I was like, I am out of my comfort zone. So that like little bit of confidence telling me like just go do it was totally drowned out. And the there's word. no
0: escape. You can't fall back on. Oh, if this family doesn't work out, I know like the community around it. I know that some other people around it. You're on your own.
1: Yeah. And so in the town, the town we stayed in is called Makono, and it's about an hour away from the capital city and um, about an hour away from another city called Jinja. And those two cities have, you know, some expat population, some missionaries, some other white people, and to put it bluntly. And Makono, though, is just this smaller town. And so the only 30 white people are the people from our program, literally. So not that, you know... I mean, yeah, that made me nervous because it, never in my life have I been a minority, you know, to that level. And so when I walk through the street, everyone knows and is looking at me, this new guy, and they know why I'm there. But it's it's so interesting to be singled out in that way if, when you never have been before. If people haven't
0: ever experienced it, we experienced it when we moved to Japan. Same yeah. thing. You stick out because you look differently auto, right away, automatically. And it was never, for us, fear or danger. It was like curiosity. People were curious of us. But it is a very interesting feeling because we've grown up never being the minority for us and where we grew up outside of Philadelphia. And to be the minority and to be the one who's looked at, it It really helped me look at things a different way and to try not to look at others that way when I am the majority. It and is and I, know I probably still do it, experience. but it just opened my eyes a lot.
1: Yeah. I think everyone should experience that at some point. I don't know how you kind of create that for yourself, but it was definitely really just go helpful. L- walk
0: through Chinatown just constantly. Go
1: somewhere, yeah. Go somewhere where you're the minority. I mean, it, it was totally eye-opening, but I think that was another reason that there was some some fear, like what you're saying. There wasn't a community that I could escape to. Um, And so that that first night, I I get there, arrive at my house and my mom is this bigger Ugandan woman named Mama Margaret and she comes out of the house and she's like, my son, and like gives me this big hug. And I was like, okay, I can do this. (laughs) And so like I hugged her and I met my family and it was this cool moment, but then the van pulled away and I was like, oh my gosh, I am here for 48 hours. Where, where am I right now? Like, this is so surreal. And I met my family. She's introducing, this is your brother. This is your sister. This is your brother. And I'm so like, so her English was good. Her English was pretty good. And everyone in my family, like that was one of the requirements for the host day families. Um, they had to have some level of, of in English, uh, uh being able to speak English and, so my mom's was was pretty decent. And then everyone else in my family was kind of varying levels. The younger people spoke English a lot better because that's what they would learn in schools, whereas the older community didn't learn English back then. English is the the national language of Uganda. And then there's like seventy had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the the language that brings the whole country together because there's about, I think, seventy or so like dialects within this small country that's like the size of pennsylvania or something so every little you drive one hour and your language doesn't work anymore because it's a different a totally it's not even a dialect a totally different language so now they are teaching many people to speak english to kind of unite the country yeah i mean like showing up she spoke english my one sister didn't at all Um, my brother spoke english pretty well and so i'm getting introduced to these people but, like, none of my usual things are working. Like, I usually tried humor first, you know, because that's how we were raised and we like to joke and laugh. And I like tried a joke or two, nothing, <laughs> like, no deadpan. And so I was like, okay, that doesn't work. Um, yeah, and I just, revert, change yeah. course. I tried some other things, and it just like there was just like some cultural clash happening right in the beginning there that made me clam up and made me kind of even more nervous. So I, what ended up happening, this is maybe jumping the gun, but for the, like uh, probably the first two or three months, like I did, I barely spoke at all. And that is not ha- who I am here. But in my family, I was really nervous and kind of had had some rough start. And so they would always be like, Code, why are you so quiet? Code, why? And I was just like laughing because I'm like, I'm not like, that's not who I am at all. If any of my friends are hearing this, they would think it was so weird. But I just, was just... I don't know. I couldn't communicate normally and so I think that intimidated me and I wish it hadn't intimidated me so much.
0: That's interesting because then the living in Africa part that was one thing that was different. The f- the fact that you were quiet because you couldn't be yourself or at least yeah. the same idea of yourself as you are in America. Yeah, what are some of the other things the perception versus reality stuff? Yeah. That that we're going to kind of dig into now. That was just different about Africa than what we think and, and Uganda especially but I think a lot of people listening myself included if you said hey this is what's different about Uganda versus your perception I would just say okay well I didn't have any perception of Uganda right. again I right. thought Africa what are the things that are different because you you mentioned one you showed up at the yeah. school and mm-hmm. it was a concrete building
1: So that yeah, and that's a good disclaimer to kind of put on things. My experiences come from one small country in a huge continent full of diversity and variety. But unfortunately, you know, as Americans, a lot of times we do just see it as one place. And there are a lot of similarities between countries in Africa as a as a culture at large. So my experiences obviously are just from Uganda. That's all I can speak to, and my little town and my four months. So it's it's a little bit narrow. But the main thing, yeah, one of the biggest things was I thought I thought I was going to be living in a hut. For sure. When you told me before this
0: podcast that you didn't live in a hut, I
1: actually said, stop. Yeah. Don't say anything else because I assumed you lived in a hut. Yeah. And how, I mean, like, and nobody in that huge planning guide, nowhere did it say you won't be living in a hut. I think they like to see us be stretched and like see these per- perceptions get totally wrecked. And so I pull up to my house and it's this like three bedroom, you know, it's all concrete, you know, they, most of their architecture is concrete. And, but there's the TV is blaring. So there's electricity. Um, the things that we didn't have, like we didn't have running water. And so obviously our bathroom was outside and was a hole, but like that is totally standard. A lot of the houses around us had electricity. And I was just kind of blown away because, yeah, to go from a, like what you think of, I'm going to stay in a hut to like, oh, this is, a, a house, maybe not a house I'm going to see, you know, on my street in America, but it is a fully functional, pretty large house. And that is where I'm living for the next four months. Yeah.
0: Total naivety on my part. I assumed, and this would be my picture if I was going to Uganda on a study abroad of where I'm going to live, that it would be the quintessential picture that I think a lot of us have in our minds a, you know, a bunch of huts kind of mm-hmm. in a circle or in this little community. And then in the middle, you know maybe people come out and hang out by the bonfire. I know that sounds really ignorant and it it is ignorant. It does
1: but we don't but we're, we don't know anything else. I mean why why would we know anything else when when that's what we see on TV and when some of Africa and some of Uganda even is that. But I think it's a lot less than I mean we went to a, a rural village and I could talk about that a little bit later but And it wasn't even that. My house in the rural village also had electricity and and most of my friends did not. They had some, you know, stayed in some more mud type buildings, but they were still homes and still had different rooms and things like that. And so even when we went on a rural homestay for a week, like it still wasn't that classic picture of like huts in a circle, bonfire outside, people without shirts on, like chanting stuff, you know, and and sometimes we think that and that's just that is that was not in my experience whatsoever so that oh, was the, the biggest so sense. that was a huge perception that was
0: broken that wasn't yeah. reality the, the living environment the living quarters what about some of the other stuff like the community i mean, was it was it a strong knit community because i always assume that these smaller communities in africa are very tight knit almost you know again ignorant but like, oh, we're a very close-knit tribe, things like that? Or is it people kind of going and coming as they please and doing different things?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's aspects of both. I definitely noticed people were more people-oriented than we are here. I mean, neighbors knew each other, and um, it seemed like everyone was some sort of family. Like, my mom would walk past someone, we'd go to church, and she'd be like, that's my son, that's my daughter. And I, like, had to ask her at one point, like two months in, I was like, mom, who did you birth? <laughs> who, did, who, who am I naturally. actually related to? Yeah, because you're t- you're saying all these people, and I was like, I don't. And my house was like a hotel. You know, I'd have people staying in, all sorts of people staying in at different times. And she would say, "This is your brother. This is your sister." To to everyone. And so that was there's definitely a strong community feel that way. Did you get an answer to that eventually? Of yeah, who actually? Yeah, was? when I asked her, str- yeah, outright, she she told me. And so kind of clarified. That was on a, halfway through my experience, though. So I just addressed everyone as my brother and sister, and it's cool. I mean, that feels uniting in a way. Where I was staying, I mean, it's it's a town, but if you the way it was set up, like if you think about a busy road near where you live that has shops and stuff on it, that is kind of what is the big road that that comes straight through Makono. and there's shops on the one side and there's shops on the other side, and the university comes off of it. So like, and there's houses all around, and so I mean, it's it's not like we're talking like ten houses. We're talking you know, hundreds of of places and a big enough community that not every single person knows everyone. But when you go to a shop owner, you know, they might, they knew my mom. And my mom was someone in the community that like knew a lot of people. So she kind of ran Makono in a sense, but it was definitely big enough that it wasn't, yeah, we're not sitting around singing Kumbaya all together all the time. But it did seem like they cared more for people and noticed people more than we do here, definitely. That's been one of the things for me
0: that I, as I travel more, my perception that has been shattered is that I always think people always say, okay, you're going to be going to this town. And for whatever reason, I always think of a town as this small little place. And then you get there and it's much more sprawling. Yeah. I don't know. When I think of third world countries and places, I always think of towns as these tiny little villages when in reality, they're much larger
1: sprawling towns, almost cities, than you imagine. Yeah, definitely. And that's what we were a part of. That's what we saw. I think some of the other big misconceptions... I mean, (laughs) this is what I tell people sometimes. I went there thinking that I was going to get like skinny and fit because I was like, all right, I'm going to be walking everywhere. Wait, we're Sherry's. We always think we're going to get skinny and <laughs> yeah, fit at some at other some point, point yeah. than the Tomorrow present. Tomorrow I'll start. Um, And so I was like, yeah, I'll I'll get fit because like I'll be walking everywhere. And this was another big thing. I was like, I don't know the food situation. We probably don't eat as much because I'm assuming I'm going to be living with a poorer family than what I'm used to. So I, I probably won't be eating as, as much food. And so, I was like, I'm going to get fit. And the other thing was like, I'm going to get tan. <laughs> I was like, i can get fit and tan. And that's not why I'm going. But I was like, cool. That's that's awesome. That was only 90% of why you studied yeah, exactly. abroad you Exactly. Well, it turns out I learned really quickly none of that was working because I wore a dress shirt and dress pants and shoes every single day while I was there. My mom, I would try to wear sandals to school and she would yell at me if she found out because it wasn't formal enough to go attend classes. I was covered head to toe in clothes. So, like not getting tan and... The amount of food they served me at dinner was insane, like it would be a a plate like we have, and it would just be heaped like piled high with mostly starch. Uh, we would have rice and beans and some stuff I really can 't explain it 's like a mashed plantain kind of thing, lots and lots of starch, and then maybe some meat or some like bean sauce kind of thing but the, it i couldn 't eat all of it the first month, and it seemed rude because i was like i can't i can 't keep going they'd be like eat, I, gotta eat. Fit. I got to get fit." <laughs> to get fit. And so, I mean, by the end, I was chowing that stuff down because my body got used to like burning those starches quickly, but so I realized I'm not, you know, this this family is feeding me and they're all eating this amount too. So, I it was hard to be like is this a poor family? I don't know because I'm I'm I feel great. I'm eating tons of food. I have my own bed. I mean, we've got electricity and I wasn't getting tan or fit or anything like that. So then I decided to grow a beard instead because I needed a, a goal for myself, you know, but that totally, that totally changed my perspe- perception. And just thinking about like the concept of poverty kind of blew me away while I was there because my family was not poor. I mean, if you, if you're talking like standards of, of Uganda and Makono, like I was probably pretty wealthy when you, when you think about it. And so it's very different from what I'm used to here. But that totally changed my whole mindset around like the issue of poverty because one of the things that sticks out in my head is they would sweep their house and the backyard and stuff with this broom that is made out of, I don't know what it was, like fibers from a tree. And so it's not a real broom. And um, I remember seeing a video before I went to Uganda of of a woman sweeping with this type of broom and thinking, oh man, like she must be poor. I wonder like she doesn't have a broom. She can't
0: afford a broom. Yeah. Or a Western broom.
1: Yeah. And this, it looked, and they were, the video was using it to describe a poor family and her clothes weren't completely new, you know, but, and I saw that just as like, oh yeah, wow, they must be poor in Africa. That's literally what I thought. And I came back and I, or I studied there and I lived in this house where they had these brooms. And I was like, that's their broom. Like it, And it works. It is what they use. Like no one has an American broom, a Western broom because that doesn't exist.
0: Why would you have a Western broom in Africa when you could make one out of the stuff you have there? That's probably better Yep, and obviously much cheaper.
1: Yeah. So I had experience after experience that just kind of kept opening my eyes to, wow, what what you thought was so different about this place. There are so many more commonalities than You might realize my, and (laughs) my brother, um, asked me like if I liked prison break one day, (laughs) you know, he's like, do you watch prison break? Let's go get the DVDs at the DVD store. So then we did that. And I watched prison break on my laptop. And that sounds so strange. Like what? Didn't you study abroad in Africa? It's like, yeah, but he and I sat and we watched prison break and, um, they liked Britney Spears and Rihanna and Celine Dion was playing all the time. And so small things like that, that just really made me realize like, I mean, things aren't as as different as maybe I thought they were. It's crazy how things are
0: so much different than what we're used to, but not in the ways that we think they're going to be. All these preconceived notions that we have of how things are going to be different aren't, and then you go and you do something and you shake your head and you think, this would never happen in America. It's different, but it's just not what you would ever expect, and I think... That's one of the cool things about traveling or living in other cultures is the things that you expect to happen don't usually happen. And then the things that you have no idea what to expect happen and you just shake your head and you think, I would have never imagined I would see this in a million
1: years. Yeah. And that is the type of experience that you can't get unless you, I think, stay somewhere for a decent amount of time. And so the transition for me, I mean, took place super gradually. Like I I felt uncomfortable in a bad and good way for the first three months of my four months. It wasn't until the fourth month that I really felt like, okay, I know what I'm doing here. I know this family. I can breathe, honestly. Like the first three months, I just always felt uncomfortable and and out of my skin a little bit. But I... Was there a
0: turning point like specifically or, or was it just a gradual change? Can you point to an example and say, you know what? This is when I knew that I felt like in... I was at home or with my family.
1: There was, yeah, there was a moment where my family was sitting around the kitchen and there'd been like an, an incident at school where my language teacher wrote a funny word on the board, a funny American word, because she was trying to say... Something it's inappropriate, so I'm not gonna say it here. But it was a funny incident and I wrote about it in my journal because all of us Americans were laughing in this class. And I think my siblings read my journal because they they brought it up to me. They're like, This happened and isn't this funny? And we sat there and laughed and laughed and laughed. And it was the first time when I was like, We are all laughing at the same thing for the same reason and we're doing it together and I'm not forcing it, like I'm just cracking up. And that didn't happen for two and a half months, you know. And so that, I think, was was one moment that was really special um, and kind of helped. Yeah, I would mark that as part of the turning point. Did you find that happening
0: then more frequently afterwards? Like, it wasn't a one-off type thing. It was stuff that continued to happen because you kind of broke that barrier?
1: Yeah, occasionally. And there were still plenty of times when the barrier still was up. But I think the most important thing was, you know, in the first... Month or so, or the first week, if you go somewhere for a week, you see it as um, when I traveled to Paris for one day, it is me and them. You know, here I am, an American looking at this culture, trying to learn what Parisians do. What is Paris all about? And then I leave. And so in Uganda, I knew I was there for four months, but I think for the first month, it was still me and them. You know, I'm I'm this American person just dropped down here, and what can I learn from these people? And that's not a horrible perspective, but. After a while, when you really stay somewhere for a long time, it becomes us, you know? And like, who are we as a family unit? I am part of this family unit right now. What can I really learn from these people that doesn't separate me so much as I'm looking at them as outsiders, but I am just looking at them as people who happen to be born on the other side of the world, but still want to love and they want to laugh and they want to live life to the fullest. Like those inherent human things remain the same all across the world. I really believe they just manifest themselves in different ways. And so, I mean, that was probably the biggest takeaway was probably my eyes were open to the fact that the world is so much bigger than I ever thought. And that people are people everywhere you go. If you spend enough time to get down to the heart of a person, and I think one of the biggest demonstrations of that, when I when I left, uh, my brother Martin, who I shared a room with, he didn't talk very much. Um, and so sometimes that communication was difficult, but he was just a quiet guy. It wasn't because he was Ugandan and I was American. It was because he's quiet and shy. Actually and, quiet and shy versus yeah. you who is only <laughs> quiet and shy <laughs> because you didn't know what to do. So I was nervous. And on the last day when I had to say goodbye to him, like we were going to the airport and stuff, he gave me a hug and was crying. And he was like, "Code, I'm going to miss you so much, like saying things and crying. And I was like, (laughs) what is happening here? Because you didn't give me any of this for four months. Like it seemed like you didn't care and I didn't make any sort of impact. And so that was kind of a, a time when I just realized I was like, man, I kind of let myself get to a place where all of my nervousness and anxieties and preconceived notions blocked out the chance to just kind of sit in the moment and realize like, this is my brother. He is." who he is. And like, we are connecting, even if it feels like we're not.
0: You don't know the impact that you have on people when you're traveling, nor do you know the impact that it has on you, I think, until you can sit down and reflect on it. And a lot of times for people, and I know it happens to me all the time, you know, during the moment of when I'm there, I think, man, this, this trip isn't exactly what I thought. Or, you know, and we're talking a lot about Living somewhere versus traveling through and a lot of people won't be able to live somewhere. But you can take the same lessons and apply it to a trip or traveling. Yeah, absolutely. You sit there and you think, This trip isn't what I thought. It's not going the way I thought. I'm not getting from this what I thought I was gonna get, or I'm not having as much fun. You have all these ideas in your head of what it's gonna be like and you don't think they're happening. And then you come home and two weeks or a week or two or three later you think and you start thinking back on you like, Man, that was amazing. And I think sometimes we put so much stress and pressure on ourselves in the moment. This has to be the best because I'm taking this trip. It's once in a lifetime. Why is this not working out perfect? And you think it's wrong that
1: you're not having this amazing experience. You are having it. You just can't see it until you get away from it. Yeah. And it goes back to we were talking about this last night, but traveling isn't just like an Instagram shot, you know, of like, oh, I'm seeing Travis at this temple. It looks beautiful. I wish I was there. But you didn't you don't know the work that you put into getting to that temple or if the day is hot or if someone stole your stuff or if there's so many things that go into traveling or living somewhere that are extremely hard. And I mean, when I was putting up pictures, I lived with three little girls and I have to mention them at least once because I, ta- I came home and hang- hung out with them every single night because the communication was difficult with my, you know, my mom and my brother. I would just hang out with, the- They were two, three and five and we would hang out for hours and I would talk to them in English and they'd talk to me in Luganda and we would just crack up and I'd spend so much time with them. And so they were kind of my lifeline while I was there. And I would put up pictures and stuff. And people back home, they see, you know, me, a white American guy with like three cute little African girls. And they're just like, oh my gosh, like that experience. Of course he's having that experience. How how fun must it be? But like... They don't know that on the walk home from school every day, I had to pep talk myself. I'd be like, you can do this. Like, it's just a, it's just one night. Like, I know you're uncomfortable, but like, I would literally say that to myself because I was so out of outside of my comfort zone with nothing to really grasp onto that it was overwhelming to me. And so, I think that's something to keep in mind in terms of traveling, like looking at pictures of India or looking at pictures of France. I mean, that's an awesome thing and those things are really exciting once you're there, but... There's some work and some some tough things that happen when you travel, and it's just a matter of if you're going to take them as they come or let them totally destroy you.
0: That's put perfectly. And it we've touched on that in other podcasts. We've talked about when we went to Myanmar and we freaked out. We've talked about having all these things happen to us within two hours of landing in Italy. And people don't see that when they look at your Facebook, when they look at your Instagram, you know, and that's fine. You don't really want them to see that, but it's okay. The reason we talk about it on the podcast is to let you guys know that if you are having those experiences when you're traveling, it's okay. Everyone else is going through it. You're hearing the good stuff because of that's what people want to tell you. And of course, that's what you want to hear most of the time. But sometimes it's nice to hear this. And that's why it's so great to have you come on and talk about living in Africa. And it's not these postcard pictures all the time even though you had a pretty good experience because you were with a somewhat wealthy family. Like you said, you had you had prison break. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, but
1: day to day, you're going through these roller coasters.
0: Sometimes it's minute by minute you're oh, going yeah, through absolutely. these roller coasters. And you feel
1: like a crazy person sometimes because you're so thrown off guard of what you're doing mentally. But I mean, I, I tell people this experience was the hardest four months of my life. I really, like when I just look back, I mean, that that has to be true but I would never trade it for the world. And I wouldn't even change it if I went back because I learned so much about myself as a person, about what it's like to be uncomfortable somewhere and still survive. Um, I learned so many lessons that I, I would never take it back whatsoever. And I think sometimes being uncomfortable is what we need. So maybe there are a few experiences when you're traveling that does happen, but that doesn't mean that that. You, it ruined you or ruined your experience right and we
0: and we wanted to touch a little bit on the emotional part of traveling and feeling nervous and feeling anxious because you mentioned to me the other night how can you do what you do how can you always travel you know don't you get anxious and nervous like i could never do what you do and we did i think we did touch on that here just by saying yes we all do get nervous even heather and i you know unless we're going to a place that we know Fairly well. Like, I don't get nervous when I go to Thailand or at least specific parts of Thailand because I know it very well. It's almost like a second home. But every time we do take a trip, every time we travel, we still feel anxious. We still feel nervous. We don't let it hold us back from doing it. And I think that also adds to the travel experience because if you don't feel that, then you don't feel all the super highs of seeing something for the first time.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think specifically, I mean, we we talked about possibly talking about places in Uganda that really meant a lot. And one of the... I would mentioned earlier, we did a rural homestay for a week. And that was the same feeling that I described earlier about getting dropped off somewhere you didn't know. That might have trumped it, honestly, because this was... We were getting dropped off for a week and they were like, you will not see another one of us for a week, another person in the program. And you don't have your phone. You will... So you are literally... At, at the mercy of this family for an entire week, I was completely nervous again. but we went to this this town called Capturwa and it was it's in the like easternmost region. and that is the most beautiful place I've ever been in the whole world. And I haven't been a ton of places, but my house was like a five-minute hike from these waterfalls that tourists come to. And not a, a, Uganda isn't a huge tourist destination, but that is where they go a lot of times um, because there's some of the most beautiful waterfalls in the world. And I lived three minutes from it with his family. Um, and so, we could hike to these waterfalls. And we stayed on top of this mountain one day. This is the one of the coolest experiences of my life was sleeping on this mountaintop in Uganda with the two other guys from my program. And we woke up with the sunrise because like the sun came up and hit the mountain and that's how we woke up. And we looked out and you could see, I think the stat was like 75% of the country from this mountain. And I just... how can I do that anywhere? Like, How can I get that experience if I just stay in central PA because I'm nervous to travel? Or
0: even if you just stayed at your original homestay, that's what's pretty crazy. You could be in Uganda going across the world to this, what was a huge move and stay at a homestay for four months. And if you hadn't gone to the even more rural, maybe more scary, more nervous homestay, you never would have seen that.
1: Yeah. I would have never had that experience. And I oh man, I remember it clear as day because it impacted my life. And just another time I saw the world in a way that I can't see it from Central PA. And that's the best testament, I think, for just
0: getting yourself out of your comfort zone. You don't have to do something incredibly crazy. But even if you're just going to do it little by little, like you took the step of going to Uganda, I would say that's a pretty huge leap, but then you went there, you did the homestay, okay, now we're going to even more rural one and what have you. If you guys are listening, you think, you know, I, I want to have those experiences. They do come with pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and it's going to be hard and it's going to be tough, but you can even do it little by little by little. And just, I think the more you
1: do it, the more you realize
0: this is definitely worth it.
1: Yeah. Yeah absolutely and you have to know your own threshold of what you can handle but this was pushing me to the very limits of like i want to go home like i wish i could go back to america but i couldn't and so because of that i really really like learned i learned so much and and the experience um is something i will you know i'll cherish forever and be able to talk about forever and it's
0: really neat to hear what it's like to actually live in africa not many people get the opportunity to do that you know People get the opportunity to come through and do a safari and go to Egypt, which, crazy enough, in Africa, (laughs) you know, I mean, we're talking about Uganda, totally different cultures and things like that. But to actually get to live there and dig into the society and and the family and all that, not a thing that a lot of people get to do. So that's really cool. We talked at the top of the show that you had a travel mishap. So we're going to switch gears a little bit.
1: Okay, can I make one more pitch before course, we switch? My, of course. My one pitch for listeners, um, if you haven't been to the continent of Africa, I mean, I obviously have just been to that one, well, one country and surrounding countries, but Uganda and many other places in Africa are similar to here in that there are places that are poor. There are places that are not. There are people that are struggling. There are people that are not. And when we look at Africa as this and lump it into this one, um, commercial of, of starving children, I think we dehumanize the people that live there. And there are plenty of starving children. And I think that, um, as long as you do, you do your research well and you know what places you're contributing to those places are are great things and i contribute myself i also now have an understanding that my family if i looked at them in in that light or they knew people were thinking oh africans all live this way or africans are all poor they would be completely offended because that's not my mom's life in, in Uganda or my brother's life in Uganda. And so I think I, I want people to give it the credit that it that it deserves and realize that there is tons of diversity in that continent and in that country. So maybe the next time you think about Africa or you talk about Africa, think about it before you speak or think about it before you think even, you know, like, just be like, okay, um, it is a place I know nothing about. So just like I'm not going to tell you anything about Germany because I've never been to Germany. Like... I don't know. That's that's my plug because I think we learned a lot of those lessons and just really want to help educate people here in that there's, there's plenty of similarities to here and everyone is a person there, you know. For sure. For sure. So we have to hit
0: the mishap because we said we yep, would and it's absolutely. pretty funny. It's actually really funny. I think it's funny for you. Maybe maybe it's funny now looking back. Maybe it's not even funny. I would never say funny, but... But let's set the scene here because we always... When we have an interview, we always ask people for the travel mishaps. And those are kind of the... It just helps make everything we've already talked about that travel isn't always perfect. Oh, yeah. Here's a great example of that. Cody, I actually have, feel a little, I, I think I can feel a little bit of the blame because I did tell you that I think you'd have enough time to make your flight. Oh, my God. And you booked the tickets that I told you to book and it didn't work
1: no, out. No, so. you helped us so much. There was, there, you had nothing, it was not your fault. So
0: let's give, so what <clears> happened <throat> here? Because this is,
1: this is your biggest travel mishap, right? Absolutely. And I didn't even hear the whole my story. Big,
0: one of my biggest life mishaps. <laughs> I didn't hear the whole story until
1: last night, actually. I just knew bits and pieces. So go go for it. So uh, my friend Shannon and I were traveling to Spain to visit Gale. Um, and that was our, our main destination. But like I said, we had a layover in Paris. And then we had flew to Madrid and then to Santiago de Compostela. So we had three separate flights. And we booked them on three separate airlines because that was the cheapest way to do it. So that worked out fine on the way there. We traveled on a place called XL Airways, which no one had heard of, but I was like, you know what? We'll give it a go. It's the cheapest ticket. We're on our way home on our return trip and we got from Santiago to Madrid and stayed a night in Madrid. And then our next leg was Madrid to Paris, to Charles de Gaulle. And... That was an okay leg too, but the flight had been delayed a little bit and our bags took a long time to come out. So Shannon and I, we have about an hour and 20 minutes before our next flight is supposed to take off. So I'm not worried because I was like, okay, that, at least we landed in time. There's, there's plenty of time, but I was like, Shannon, why don't we hustle a little bit to the next to check in for our next flight? So we have our huge bags and we're hustling and Charles de Gaulle airport is I think one of the biggest airport. It's, it's so long. It's huge. It's so spread out. And of course, the place we flew into and the place we're flying out of were complete opposite ends. So we're kind of running through the airport. It took us about 20 minutes at a jog to get to the, our check-in desk. And no one's there. And they're kind of like... Remember, he's not super fit nor tan <laughs> because you didn't get that. Exactly. That. So I, I can't... And we had walked part of the Camino. So we had blisters. And um, we arrive at the desk. And they're kind of like packing up a little bit. And I'm like, all right, we're here to check in for this flight. And, and they say, I'm sorry, you can't. Literally, that, I, I remember that's all she said verbatim. You can't. And I was like, um, well, our flight doesn't take off for another hour. So, I mean, here's my, like, this is our information. She's like, uh, actually, it takes off in 55 minutes. And um, you have to be here for international flights. You have to be here an hour before in order to check in. So, Shannon and I are standing there and we are five minutes late to check in. Five minutes, to me, I was like, okay, this isn't really a big problem because the the, the airplane is going to be there for fifty five more minutes. Like, this is an easy fix, and she's going to let me go. And so I'm I'm talking with her, trying to talk her into. I'm like, can you just turn your computer back on and let me, <laughs> you know, let me check in? She's like, no, I'm sorry. And I was like, well, what? How can we get on this flight? Like, we need to get back to America. We're going to New York. Like, we have to make this flight. And she said, no, you can't. And she just kept being so short with me and. Oh, I I got really frustrated and and sometimes I'm kind of passive with people and I try to like not uh, engage in conflict, but I was like, I need to get home. So I am fighting with this woman saying anything that I can. I said, I will, we'll leave all of our bags. Like if you can't process my luggage, I don't care. I will forget everything, all the souvenirs I bought, all of the clothes. Like we took a lot of stuff and I was like, I'll leave it all here. I I want to go to America. (laughs) And she's like, no, I'm sorry. You can't. And so I was like, well, who can I talk to? Give me your manager. And she said, I don't work for this airline. And I was like, well, who does? And she's like, no one at this airport works for this airline. So we can't help you. So they were just outsourced help. I Yeah, guess? I have no idea. I have no idea. And so she said, you have to call like the hotline. So I call the hotline. I go to this French one eight hundred XL airline. <laughs> yeah, and I like take his phone, and the, I, he only speaks French. And I'm just like, please, please, please. And so I take his phone, and I'm calling, and they're like, no, you have to talk to someone in the airport, and you know, like just customer service things are getting, you know, they're they're horrible. And so I'm going back and forth between this woman. I start literally begging this woman to somehow let us on the plane. And I told you last night, like, I thought if I could just get to the, the gate and explain the situation, then maybe it would make sense. I realized the only thing between me and the gate is a security checkpoint. And so I honestly thought about just running through the security checkpoint and running to the gate. And I, I realized that I, that I would get arrested and that they were like green berets walking around with AK-47s in the airport. French prison worse than a French airport. <laughs> yes. And so I decided against that. Um... After about 30 minutes or so, our airplane is still there. It's not taking off, but everyone had packed up and left the desk. This woman is gone. And Shannon and I are are sitting there and be like, what do we do? It was about 6 p.m. too, so there's not going to be a ton of international flights. So we go up to any desk we can, but all the desks are closing down. We find this guy and I ask him, I don't know if he works for United or something like that. And I ask him about what our options are. And he finally pulls up some stuff and he was really helpful he pulls up some stuff and he looks at me, he's like, That's uh, yeah, tickets are gonna be eighteen hundred dollars for tomorrow morning. I was like, I had no idea. Like I didn't even have a frame of reference as to like if you miss your flight, what happens? How how much does a last minute ticket cost? And he told me, eighteen hundred dollars for each of us. And like we don't have that money. And so I just like oh, I know, what's... just to fly from Paris to New York too. Yeah. Yep. And he said that is the absolute cheapest. There's nothing else. And I was like, what are we going to do? So I'm freaking out. Shannon is kind of just waiting, hoping that things are going to be okay. And so I bought some internet on my phone. And, you know, my phone is... that We don't have like international plans. So I can't call anybody even to just be like, Mom, help. I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. We like Google some things on the internet. And all of the ticket booths had like shut down. So now I'm trying to purchase a ticket on my phone in the airport. Like, it seemed so backwards. I'm purchasing an airline ticket on my phone, and we found a ticket through Turkish Airways that would leave the next morning at 6 a.m. We'd travel for 24 whole hours. Like, it would have a, we had a layover in Turkey. And again, we're talking about naivety. Um, and I was like, Turkey? I've never been to Turkey before. All I know about Turkey is it's in the Middle East, and I don't know if Turkey is safe. I, I'm not like... I just, I'm not learned in that area. So I was like, I don't even know if I buy this ticket, if we're going to live, like if this is a safe choice for me and my friend, but it was the cheapest option it was 700 bucks for each of us. And I was like, I can make that work. Um, so we bought the tickets and we realized like at least at 6am, we have to stay in the airport, which isn't a big deal. You know, like I've seen people do that. I watched the terminal. Come on. Like I know all about it, it was, but we went to this, uh, the terminal where it was going to be leaving and, and Charles de Gaulle is like split up. And so we went to this terminal. And it's just this generic lobby because anybody could get there. You didn't have to have a boarding pass. You didn't, we didn't, we You could walk in off the street. Yeah. So there were definitely some people who were not catching flights, who were definitely in homeless and walking in off the street and staying there. There was a man wearing tap shoes. There was a man shouting at the top of his lungs in French. And so it seemed really aggressive and scary. No one's around him. He's just screaming. And so Shannon and I are there and I'm responsible for her and taking care. And so, I am just kind of freaking out like we're going to die in this airport. <laughs> like, and it was, it was a really rough experience. And um, after all of it happened, it took about four hours from the time they said, no, you can't get on this flight until we had another flight booked and were able to sit down and didn't have any more details to work out. It was a four-hour process. And I had just been in go mode for four hours. So I Skyped with my mom. And the second I saw her face, I started bawling. Just, abs- just crying my eyes out in the middle of this airport as So a grown like the man. guy in tap shoes thought you were crazy. Like why <laughs> yeah, is this white kid crying what while is looking he at a doing? Call? I cried for about 30 minutes and I just, I was like, mom, I'm so overwhelmed. This was the most stressful experience of my life. And on paper, when I look back, I'm like, okay, that happens to people. But when you're in that moment, I was in an airport in a foreign country Most people spoke English, but some people were just speaking French. Um, Nobody was helpful except for that one guy. People were extremely rude and didn't care. And we had no anchors. We had no... Our phones didn't work. We couldn't communicate. It was just Shannon and I in the middle of a place we had never been. And you couldn't get on a flight till 6 a.m. So you had to stay there through the night. It wasn't like you were going anywhere else. So I was just... it, It felt like everything had been knocked out from under me and we had no base to land on. And so that, I think, was the most... The thing that made it the most stressful experience was like I have nothing to grab onto to make me feel safe or comfortable here, and so we we're we're trying to sleep on this like thing I have. My money inside my shirt. I have my arm around my bag. I didn't sleep. We tried to take shifts sleeping because I was like, Shan, I don't know what's going on. We've got like four homeless people around us, this man shouting. I was like, and we have a lot of money on us and that we have all of our possessions. And so I tried to let her sleep a little bit, but she didn't. She tried to let me sleep and it didn't happen. So we're just exhausted. The only food we had, we, had no, oh, we didn't have any money actually. We had no money left and our cards weren't working internationally for some reason. And we had a half bag of frosted flakes for the next 24 hours. They're great. <laughs> uh, so the next morning comes and Turkish Airlines, wow, I would recommend them. It was the best flight we took all trip. It was a beautiful plane. Even though you had to go plane. all the way back
0: across the country to then go back to America, or a continent you up to yeah. then go to America. but
1: and And the airport in Istanbul was a little crazy. There were people everywhere. There wasn't really... We couldn't really sit anywhere, um, and we just had a handful of Frosted Flakes each for the, for that 24 hours. We didn't have shower. We were in the same clothes, no shower. We were a mess. So if anyone out there ever thinks
0: that they're alone when they get upset or anxious or nervous about their travel experiences or you know, end up bawling in an airport, you're not alone,
1: guys. Absolutely not. Other idiots like myself have done it. Yeah. So and there you- there's some things you just can't you can't plan for. And I think the biggest takeaway from that experience is that, like you said, now I'm months away from it. I don't think about that experience when I think about I went to Spain. I think about all the other awesome things that happened. Maybe for a week or two it kind of put a it tainted it a little bit. But in the long run, I got to see some of the coolest things in Spain and see my sister and go to Paris. Like who gets to do that? So right.
0: Yeah, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel, and I think we've hit on a lot of points here, especially with stepping outside of your comfort zone and just the preconceived notions and shattering them when you actually do dig into a place and all that great stuff. If you guys are interested in anything we spoke about today, of course, you can get the show notes and all that at com slash pods. I should say, though, Code, if you were rocking a Tortuga backpack and it was only carry-on size... Maybe you would to have missed your flight. It's possible. Who knows? One of the reasons, one of the many reasons we talk about just traveling with just a carry-on, which is how Heather and I travel ninety nine percent of the time. Definitely yeah, I recommend it. Yeah, I mean, there's gonna be times maybe you can't, but that could have been a saving grace there if you didn't have to wait for your luggage. Who knows? Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah but if you want to make sure that you are making me
1: feel horrible <laughs> i'm just i'm just saying Man, if you want to if you want to
0: yeah a carry on backpack guys you can go to tortugabackpacks.com that is the sponsor for today's show use the promo code epop epop all capitals code i'm going to give them three from the archives episodes if you liked this episode and what we talked about We're 150-plus episodes in, so there's a lot of cool stuff to dig through if you like podcasts.
1: You can really binge on it. That's usually how I listen to podcasts is I just binge on it. Yeah, and I love listening to you guys. That's not just because you're my brother, but you are actually interesting. (laughs) There's some podcasts out there there that that are not, and you know how to speak, and I I think you guys have experiences that the rest of this world does not have. And so it's definitely worth worth listening to. Well,
0: we do like to talk as well, and that's half the battle. So there's a lot in the archives. Here are three that we specifically recommend. If you like this episode with Cody, kind of talking about Africa and the family feel, episode 77, everything you need to know about walking the Camino, which I oh, did yes. with my twin sister, Gail. So a little bit of family love on that one. If you like to talk about Africa and you want to kind of dig into Africa and you're interested in that as a continent. I did a really great podcast with a guy named Francis Tapon, who's doing a project called The Unseen Africa, where he's actually going to every country in Africa over a five-year period, shooting that, turning that into a TV show. We did a podcast about that. We talk all about notions and preconceived thought. I mean, his whole thing is making people discover Africa that isn't the pyramids of Egypt and the safaris in Kenya and things like that. That's outstanding. Yeah. Episode 41, Francis is awesome and and he does talk about Africa. We actually Skype him in from Africa and the internet connection holds up fairly well, believe it or not. And the last one, episode 33, if you're interested in study abroad, because that's how Cody went to Africa, we talk all about with Ryan Warner, who's a study abroad director at Marshall University, which is really cool. And he talks about helping students study abroad. So if you're someone who's interested in studying abroad or you know young people who are, that's a fantastic resource for you guys.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you're a student and listening, you need to study abroad. That's a simple... No matter what type of person you are, I think you've got to go somewhere. And I know you regret not... I'm trying to make up for lost time here. So you, you've, you've got to. There's just no experience like it. And I can't imagine a reason why you wouldn't wouldn't take you know your college up on that offer. Totally agree. Well, thank you very much, Cody. Thanks for coming Thanks, on. Travis. Also, thanks for having us
0: at your new house and yeah. Uh, yeah, showing us a little bit around Central PA. Hey, we're broadening our horizons here in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania.
1: Yeah, there's some cool things in Camp Hill.
0: It's so not th- Paris, but... Yeah, it's not Paris, but you won't get stuck at the airport because there is no airport. Yeah. Ugh. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And as always, until next time, happy free travels.
1: I'll show you Paris